Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, March 16th, 2023. It's been 3,305 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 386 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a critical shortage of anti-tank guided missiles and man-portable anti-tank weapons. Second, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing non-precision artillery munition shortages theater-wide and that multiple intelligence sources have validated our March 13, 2023 assessment. Third, We maintain that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached a critical state. Fourth, we maintain that Russia no longer has the resources to cause catastrophic economic, social, or military disruptions by targeting Ukraine's electrical infrastructure. Fifth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. Sixth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian Federation Armed Forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Eighth, We maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, those are seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue to do everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of cost. Ninth, we maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Tenth, We maintain that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and the Russian MOD has reached a dangerous level that threatens to derail the only successful Russian offensive operation since June 2022 in Bakhmut. Eleventh, we maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Twelfth, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, 
We maintain the Kremlin is also actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March 15, 2022, we assessed, quote, Russia's ability to wage war in Ukraine continues to be diminished. Mariupol is surrounded and being systematically destroyed. It is very unlikely that another attempt to encircle Kyiv or a sea-based invasion of Odessa will occur in the coming days. End quote. Chernyiv was heavily shelled, while attacks on Sumy were unsuccessful, and Ukrainian forces were on the fifth day of a counteroffensive near Kharkiv. The Kharkiv Zoo was shelled with cluster munitions. The Russian Ministry of Defense falsely claimed the entire Kherson Oblast had been captured. The first hints that Russian forces were committing widespread atrocities against civilians were starting to trickle out. We also assessed, quote, the use of intimidation, deprivation, and intimidation, I guess we really meant that intimidation, will only serve to fuel an insurgency, end quote, in Kherson. Intense fighting was ongoing in Popazna and on the outskirts of Severodonetsk in Luhansk. Over 2,000 vehicles carrying 20,000 civilians were able to evacuate from Mariupol, which was in an operational encirclement. Pictures of mass graves, blood-soaked ground, and unburied bodies were shared by the Associated Press, which was on a Russian hit list and actively being hunted. The Black Sea Fleet fired 90-caliber cruise missiles over 24 hours at the Odessa region. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. Fighting continued in the southern part of Khryanikivka, with no reported change in the situation. Despite the clear evidence of continued fighting, the Russian MOD only reported artillery shelling. The city of Kharkiv was attacked with S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, striking a school and causing damage to the surrounding area. No casualties were reported. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Information was more limited with the departure of Luhansk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Serhii Haidai. Based on reports from the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and Russian and Ukrainian sources, the intensity of ground fighting declined compared to March 14th. In the Svatova operational area, the GSAFU and Russian MOD reported that Novoselivsk was shelled. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo continues to report attempts by Russian troops to advance on Makivka while remaining the only source making a claim. Positional fighting continued near Nevsky with no change in the situation. Fighting continued in the forests around Kremina and near Dibrova. In the Lysychansk operational area, fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, continued, with Russian forces attacking from Zolotorivka and Novodruzhesk. Wargonzo reported that tradition was maintained and the attacks were unsuccessful. Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, officials admitted that Popazna would never be rebuilt. In a recently released report outlining the reconstruction objectives for 11 cities and 17 municipal districts, Popazna was not mentioned. The town, which sat on the Minsk II border, was once home to 20,000 and had been subjected to repeating fighting since 2014. 
Russian forces considered the railroad hub a critical strategic target, and the town was under siege from February 24th until its capture on May 8th. The victory was achieved by systematically destroying the town with artillery ordered by Russian General Lapin, leaving only 200 civilians in the town when it was occupied. The logistics node Russia wanted to capture intact was destroyed. Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? In northeast Donetsk in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces once again attempted to advance on Spirna and were once again unsuccessful. In the Solidar operational area, we had assessed yesterday that Zaleznyanske was under Russian control because the only ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, to support its defense had been severed. Well, PMC Wagner released a video showing their mercenaries occupying the village. The United States Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, addressed the situation in Bakhmut during a press conference after the Rammstein Working Group meeting, saying, quote, As for the importance of Bakhmut, I would point to the fact that it is President Zelensky, of Ukraine, who decides what is important and what needs to be redeployed. If he decides at some point in time to redeploy forces, it will probably mean that he is doing it to maintain an advantage. But whether Ukrainian troops stay there or not, and how long they stay there, is President Zelensky's decision and no one else's. And again, our goal is to make sure that we support him no matter what the decision on the battlefield is. End quote. In the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner advanced approximately one kilometer into the eastern part of Orikhovo-Vasilivka, with intense fighting continuing. There is also intense fighting in the area of the Azom metal factory complex, with Ukrainian forces straining to hold defensive positions on the southern edge of Yahidne. PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Botanivka but was unsuccessful. Drone video showed Ukrainian and Russian forces in close-quarter trench warfare just 200 meters from the T-506 highway in Khromove. Ukrainian forces were able to hold the strong point but suffered casualties, with Russian troops shooting their own and Ukrainian troops possibly throwing a hand grenade at their own. Based on the new intelligence, we moved the line of conflict and assessed the T-506 highway G-lock as likely severed. We still see no indications that Russian forces are attempting to create a technical or operational encirclement of Bakhmut, and they continue to fight an attritional battle plan. Wargonzo claimed that Russian forces had reached the area where the MiG-17 statue was, which was denied in the latest update by PMC Wagner. Ukrainian officials reported approximately 3,000 civilians of an original population of 70,000 remained in the city, including 33 children. Kostyantanivka was pounded by grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, for hours, with Malcontent News war reporter Katie Livingston reporting the explosions could be heard in Kramatorsk, and which she described as, quote, endless. A criminal investigation was opened in Kramatorsk after officials discovered a mass poisoning of stray dogs in several city districts. Veterinarians were only able to save two animals. Officials say the act was intentional and that a toxic drug was used. If the person or persons are caught, they could face up to three years in prison. Quick sidebar. 
If you visit our Patreon, you'll find a free article confirming that this was the last thing our chief content officer wanted to review yesterday. Of all days. There is a German word that I just learned that I think applies here. Weltschmerz. It's basically being tired and sad about how cruel the world is. In Novoluhanske, PMC Wagner-aligned, unaffiliated Russian state media journalist Mariana Naumova reported that living conditions for the remaining residents were poor, and neither the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, nor Russian occupation officials have done anything to support the town. Naumova reported, quote, Of the almost 3,000 pre-war, now several hundred local residents live in the village. For almost a year, the village has been living without electricity, gas, and water. Several shops have opened, but because of the terrible roads, there is a big problem with transport. End quote. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, the situation north of the city is deteriorating. Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian positions in Krasnohorivka were shelled, while Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported that the settlement had been captured. The GSAFU didn't mention Krasnohorivka in its morning or evening report and reported that attacks on Stepova and Novokalinova were repulsed. We moved the line of conflict west based on terrain analysis, which is a lot harder now since we've observed trench warfare in open fields. We continue to code Krasnohorivka as contested, with Ukrainian forces on the western edge of the plateau. There is significant fog of war in this area. Fighting led by the 2nd Army Corps continued on the H-20 highway east of Komyanka. Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Avdiivka, with Wargonzo reporting attempted advances launched from Opitne and Yasinovate. Indiscriminate shelling of the city continued, despite widespread Russian complaints of ammunition shortages. The 1st Army Corps, formerly of the DNR, continued attacks west of Odiana, along the northern edge of Pirovomaiske and north towards Sieverne. Russian forces repeated the mistake of attacking without leaving reserves in defensive positions and had to retreat to previous defensive lines after a failed attack on Nevilske. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued in what was once Marinka, with no change in the situation. Fighting east of the Pobida pig farm also continued. Once again, Russian forces attempted to advance on Novomikhailivka. There was no change, because of course there wasn't. In the Hulhledar operational area, Russian forces attacked the area of the Mikilske Dachas and continued to suffer heavy losses with no gains. The Russian MOD did not report ground fighting, only claimed a glorious victory against Ukrainian, quote, servicemen, using artillery. In Russian-occupied Mariupol, a convoy moving BMP-1 infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, farm equipment, and other military hardware were recorded moving in the direction of Mandrush. Unaffiliated Russian state media journalist Naumova released a second report about the deplorable conditions in which residents of Russian-occupied Volnovakha live, saying, quote, a gloomy corner forgotten by the authorities and builders to which you can't really drive up or normally approach where people live. 
Somehow, they themselves, mostly with improvised garbage, covered the ceilings, windows, and roof and survived the winter. But spring came and the rains will come. How to survive further? The Chelyabinsk region and the Yamalonenyets Autonomo Okrug are in charge of the restoration of Volnovakha. I would very much like to draw the attention of responsible comrades to this address. Please help people. End quote. Quick note here. They're so close to understanding the situation. So close and yet so far. Lines continued to stretch for kilometers at the Uspenka border crossing after restrictions were placed on residents of the DNR and LNR on where they could enter Russia. The 2013 version of Russia, not the 2022, we annexed Donetsk, but apparently we didn't mean it because that's just how we roll, Russia. Local officials visited the border crossing and promised, again, that they would try to ease congestion. A new feature of living in Russian Mir in occupied Donetsk is rabies. Fun! Self-declared acting leader of the DNR and former casino card dealer Denis Pushlin signed a decree declaring quarantine in three districts for 60 days due to rabies. Donetsk. You think you hate it now, but wait until you visit. After a recent purge of the staff of the prosecutor's office in occupied Donetsk, Russian President Vladimir Putin said, quote, The situation in the DNR, LNR, Kherson, and Zaporizhia regions remains difficult. Oh, that's such an understatement. It is necessary to strengthen the local prosecutor's offices there with experienced employees. End quote. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Ukrainian forces launched a reconnaissance and force attack with an armored platoon supported by a mechanized infantry platoon in the direction of Robotine. The attack failed, with Ukraine losing two tanks, three armored personnel carriers, and approximately 25 troops, rendering the entire force combat destroyed. Despite the video evidence and claims by Vladimir Rogov that were close to reality, the Russian MOD wrote fan fiction, claiming three armored vehicles, four pickup trucks, and one self-propelled howitzer were destroyed, and 75 Ukrainian troops were killed. Some assessment here. We've talked about how hard it is to count casualties, and the report shines some light on how the Russian MOD estimates Ukrainian losses. If we use the Russian MOD combat report and assume each IFV was full of dismounts, no one survived, and there were five soldiers in each of the imaginary pickup trucks, plus the estimated 24 casualties shown on video, you do come to an answer of 75 killed in action. In occupied Melitopol, further signs that the Kremlin cash reserve is in worse shape than reported, a movement has started among collaborators called Gauleiters Abandoned Their Own. Former Ukrainian nationals who went to work for Russian occupiers have not been paid since December. Yuri Chernichuk, the former deputy chief engineer of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP, was issued a notice of suspicion of committing a criminal offense for aiding the aggressor state by intentional actions aimed at helping the aggressor state to cause harm to Ukraine by implementing the decisions and actions of the invaders. In other words, Chernichuk is accused of voluntarily agreeing to cooperate with Russian occupiers, helping implement illegal orders, spreading propaganda with Russian state media, and declaring ZNPP a subject of the Russian Federation. 
He is also accused of forcing the power plant employees to collect information about their work to provide data to Rosatom beyond his normal scope of duties. There were no updates on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, Director of Communications Natalia Humenyuk reported the number of vessels on patrol jumped from 13 to 20, including three frigates and one kilo-class submarine capable of launching up to 28-caliber cruise missiles. Humenyuk said that the fleet was widely dispersed and displaying a, quote, unusual pattern leading officials to believe that the Russian Navy was searching for debris from the MQ-9 Reaper that crashed on March 14th. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery across the Dnipro River. Russian forces executed 88 fire missions, firing 413 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, and indirect tank fire. Kherson was shelled five times, targeting the ship district and residential areas, wounding three. Overnight, Biloserka was heavily shelled. The town of Oleksandrivka, the one in Kherson, sat on the line of conflict from March to November and was the scene of repeated fighting, leaving the town completely destroyed. Reconstruction and sustainment efforts have started, with photos showing stacks of lumber next to gutted homes. In Kherson, the ban on the sale of alcohol was lifted, and, as you would expect, there were long lines at stores. Reviewing pictures, it appears the ban was total and included kvass, a fermented rye bread soft drink containing a small amount of alcohol. Kvass is unique and has a sour taste. Our chief content officer prefers the unsweetened version, but if you want to try it, honey-infused versions are better. It is an invention of the Kievan Rus in the 10th century and the national beverage of Ukraine. In Novokakhovka, a Russian Murom-M remote surveillance system was destroyed by a kamikaze drone. Russian state media journalists have had kind of a rough march so far. War reporter Roman Saponkov complained that his vehicles were confiscated by OMON while reporting in occupied Kherson. He wrote, quote, On March 6th, they stopped us at a checkpoint and sent the vehicles for a check. They said there was suspicion that the cars were wanted. To their chagrin, a database check showed that the cars were clean. Then they were simply taken from us. No paperwork was provided for the withdrawal. They said that if the drivers waited for the documents, they would be put in a prison cell for an indefinite period. To avoid this, they forced me to sign a consent to the ownership review. I was given blank forms to sign, including an active transfer of ownership. A week has passed, and there are no documents on the confiscation, as well as decisions on why they were detained. When a trusted person arrived two days later, they didn't give him any documents about the seizure either, and threatened to imprison him if he didn't leave. Think about it. Our cars were simply taken away. The drivers had all the documents, powers of attorney, and waybills for the cargo in their hands. But the cars were just stupidly taken away, even without paperwork. From the point of view of the law, these cars have never been with the police and evaporated somewhere. They will not be found. End quote. Okay, but sidebar. No, really, they are so close to understanding the situation. 
but they are also still kilometers away. In Dnipropetrovsk, Marchanets was heavily shelled, with Russian forces targeting civilian areas, killing two and wounding five. Four people are still hospitalized. The shelling struck a retail store, a club, and a hostel. Thirteen apartment towers and nine private homes were damaged. On the Russian front in Bilgorod, air defense was active, with Russian officials claiming two missiles were shot down. The Russian village of Shebikino was shelled, with no casualties reported. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. U.S. Secretary of Defense Austin said American drones would continue to fly where international law allows after a Russian Su-27 multi-role fighter struck an MQ-9 Reaper drone in a mid-air collision, which U.S. officials called, quote, amateur hour. Russian ships are trying to secure the wreckage, which puzzled even some Russian military experts and mill bloggers. Because in 2019, Russian forces shot down an American MQ-9 over Syria and recovered the UAV. Secretary Austin and his counterpart, Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu, spoke about the incident in a telephone call. Austin told reporters, quote, I have just had a telephone conversation with my Russian counterpart, Minister Shoigu. As I have often said, great powers must serve as models of transparency and communication. End quote. Hey, guess what? We're back to zero days since someone in the Russian government has threatened nuclear war. Russian ambassador to the United States, Anatoly Antonov, said, quote, Intentionally attacking a Russian aircraft in neutral airspace is not just a crime under international law, but also an open declaration of war against the largest nuclear power. End quote. Quick sidebar. Chill. Don't try so hard, okay? We get it. You have nuclear weapons. Good for you. That's great. I love that for you. But you wave your nuclear weapons around like a rich teenager who has a fancy new car they can't even drive yet. It's a little embarrassing, okay? It's super cringe. Just chill out, okay? The Polish Internal Security Agency, or ABW, exposed a spy network that worked for Russia and was tasked with preparing sabotage operations to interdict military aid for Ukraine. The ABW detained six people during the investigation, and an alert was issued on railroads and national critical infrastructure facilities due to all of the spying activities. The arrested persons are foreigners, quote, from the eastern border, allegedly working for the Russian Federal Security Service, or FSB. ABW agents found hidden cameras on important routes and railroad junctions that recorded the movement on railway tracks and uploaded images via the Internet. Cameras were found near the military airbase in Yashamka, near Zheshov. The airport is the main transit point for Western armaments and ammunition going to Ukraine. More cameras were found in other parts of Poland. Quick sidebar. I checked the notes, and I don't see any angry, hollow threats of nuclear war from NATO officials over this. Weird. 
Nadia Ivanivna Prichodko, 54 years old, was convicted to 15 years in prison for providing coordinates to where humanitarian aid was being distributed to the Ukrainian military, photographing the results of airstrikes, artillery, and rocket attacks, and providing correction information in Kharkiv from February 25th through March 9th, 2022. Prechodko was convicted for not only sharing the information, but instructing when to attack to maximize casualties. Working for the FSB and sending information directly to two people in the Russian military, the former postal employee was arrested on March 9, 2022, while documenting the results of an attack. The 10th Rammstein Working Group meeting was held, with nations coordinating military aid for Ukraine. After the meeting, Canada announced it would send another 8,155mm artillery shells and 12 air defense missiles. Sweden agreed to transfer 10 Leopard 2 tanks. Spain announced it would send four more Leopard 2A4 tanks. And Norway agreed to provide two NASAMS anti-aircraft systems in cooperation with the United States. Denmark announced a $140 million aid package that includes small arms ammunition, heavy machine guns, and air defense missiles. The working group also discussed systematic ammunition shortages, with Secretary Austin saying, quote, We also need to find ways to get new donations of ammunition and air defense systems to Ukraine. To increase ammunition production, members of this contact group are coming together to develop innovative solutions to industrial production problems, end quote. Israel confirmed they approved export licenses for the sale of anti-drone jamming systems on February 15th, which could help Ukraine counter Iranian UAVs being used by Russia. Piotr Mueller, a Polish government spokesperson, informed that Warsaw had received, quote, clear declarations from several countries willing to supply Ukraine with MiG-29 fighter jets. Nations aligned with NATO with MiG-29s in their inventory include Bulgaria, Croatia, Romania, Slovakia, and Poland. However, only the Polish and Slovakian fleets are currently airworthy. Germany may have spare parts remaining, but provided a large tranche of parts left over from East Germany in April 2022. Politico reported a bipartisan group of eight U.S. senators is pressing the Pentagon for more information on what it would take to send F-16 jets to Ukraine. The letter, addressed to Secretary of Defense Austin, was organized by Senator and former astronaut Mark Kelly, a Democrat from Arizona. Support for Ukraine is deep in the U.S. Senate, with only Rand Paul, the Republican from Kentucky, objecting to any support. Among the co-signers was Trump-aligned Tommy Tuberville, a Republican from Alabama. Retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Dan Hampton, the so-called deadliest F-16 pilot alive, said, quote, The Su-35 is a typical Russian machine. It looks good at the air show, but my personal opinion is that it's junk, end quote. During his 20-year career in the Air Force, Hampton flew 151 sorties and is one of the most decorated fighter pilots since the Vietnam War, including a Purple Heart, four distinguished flying crosses for extraordinary heroism, and eight air combat medals for valor during combat operations in the air. Hampton added there are enough retired American fighter pilots ready to protect the skies of Ukraine, declaring, quote, I'll even go myself, end quote. 
assessment. As 19th century U.S. American author Mark Twain allegedly said, quote, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it, end quote. After 53 weeks of talking about sending fighter planes to Ukraine, it is well past time to do something about it. As Mark Twain probably also said at some point, quote, good grief, people, by the time you've made a decision, the F-16s will be obsolete, end quote, or mm, something like that. Speaking of obsolete, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. New Russian invasion markings have appeared on vehicles, a circle within a square that looks like a target. It's awfully convenient. Equipment moving through Mariupol toward Russia and Vukhledar was seen with a new marking. So back on March 14th, Kremlin Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov said that a second wave of mobilization, quote, is not discussed at the Kremlin. Despite the repeated denials, however, summons from the commissariats is occurring in 35 Russian regions. Officials are framing the activity as required to update military databases and to provide a, quote, invitation to military training. An invitation? <laughs> like how when someone says, I'm going to have to ask you to step outside, they're not asking, and stepping outside is not optional. In Moscow, Akrom Chorshanbiev was arrested in the Odintsovo district on suspicion of possession of weapons. According to Russian state media, two Kalashnikov assault rifles, they did not specify which variant, and ammunition were found in his car. He told law enforcement officials that he was an employee of PMC Wagner Group. Yevgeny Prigozhin declared innocence, writing, quote, We checked carefully. There has never been such a character in PMC Wagner, and there is none. For the future, in order not to confuse an ordinary offender with a Wagner fighter, pay attention to the characteristic features of PMC Wagner fighters, end quote. On the same day that Prigozhin told Russian state media agency RBC about the high standards of PMC Wagner, a U.S. American who was just reading the articles reported that there was a recruiting ad on Pornhub for PMC Wagner. Prigozhin was asked if the story was true and responded, quote, I don't know on which sites, but advertising PMC Wagner on porn sites is a very good idea from our marketers. I absolutely, completely agree with them, and this advertisement says, go to fight in the Wagner PMC and stop jerking off. Who can disagree with this argument? End quote. And just as a reminder for our listeners, we do backlink and attribute all our sources. The situation report for yesterday was 60 pages long with over 100 footnotes. In breaking news, Newsweek is reporting that Pornhub has pulled the PMC Wagner ads from their website which, I guess, makes Pornhub better at removing fascist content from their site than any of the major social media platforms. Russian mill blogger and soldier Roman Kolos stepped on an anti-personnel mine, causing severe damage to his leg. He was left on the battlefield for five hours, per Russian accounts, before being extracted. Reviewing his Telegram channel may make you believe that karmic retribution is real. This is your daily reminder that the Rusik group are neo-Nazi white nationalists aligned with the ideology of the Russian Imperial Legion. They are Nazi trash who hide behind lawyers and hate when people bring this up. 
all is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. One year ago today, on March 16, 2022, Russian forces bombed the Mariupol Drama Theater, a stunning structure and an air raid shelter for hundreds of civilians seeking protection from the near-constant shelling. It is likely the deadliest single incident in the war, with as many as 600 civilians estimated to have died in the strike, including women and babies moved from the maternity hospital that was hit only a few days before. An accurate record is likely impossible. Many of the deceased remained buried below the theater's collapsed back half and could not be recovered due to the subsequent occupation by Russian forces. While the facade of the theater still stands, the occupiers demolished and cleared away the rest of the building. An estimated 200 people survived, including rescuers who pulled others from the rubble while Russian missile strikes continued in the area. Initially, the Russian MOD said the theater was being used as a base and so was a legitimate military target. They then shifted blame to Azov. And Human Rights Watch has reported that Ukrainian refugees had been pressured to say that the Ukrainian military had committed the atrocity. If you remember our special report on Mariupol on December 5th, the Russian disinformant we covered, Natasha, recently published a video highlighting my friend's neighbor who is there, type sources, supporting the narrative that Ukrainian forces were responsible. While international investigators cannot access the site, the Associated Press was still in Mariupol at the time and took photos and spoke with survivors of the bombing, all of which implicated Russian forces in the attack. Any ambiguity as to which belligerent committed the bombing is manufactured. In Simferopol, children as young as six are being radicalized in the classroom. Russian occupiers teach the students weapons handling, combat first aid, and military drill, with the youngest wearing military uniforms and learning the order of arms. We reported on the incredible story of a New Zealand volunteer soldier fighting for Ukraine, saving his battle buddy unexpectedly while clearing a house near Bakhmut. The rescued soldier is Oleksiy Gordiev. Gordiev has bullet and shrapnel wounds in his thigh and back. While fighting continued above him, the wounded Gordiev lay in the basement for 42 days beside his dead and dying comrades. From his hospital bed, Gordiev said, quote, There was nothing to eat. We had to eat crumbs. I drank water from puddles, and when the water ran out, I had to use poisonous antifreeze from the heater. End quote. Weighing 80 kilograms when he joined the Ukrainian military, he is down to 42 kilos. Gordiev had surgery to treat his bullet and shrapnel wounds in Dnipro and is being treated for antifreeze poisoning and dystrophy. Once he is well enough to be moved again, he will be transferred to Kiev. In Kramatorsk at the train station, which was a scene of horror almost a year ago, a Ukrainian soldier proposed to his girlfriend on the platform. A reporter from the Telegraph was at the right place at the right time to capture the moment in pictures. She said yes, and life goes on. 
In geopolitical news, investigators found documents outlining the Kremlin's plan to destroy Moldova's government by 2030. The document is called Strategic Goals of the Russian Federation in the Republic of Moldova, a super creative name, and was created in 2021. A Moldovan intelligence officer said, quote, The goal is not to insidiously annex the country, but to strengthen pro-Russian influence in Moldova, primarily to prevent pro-NATO, pro-European trends. The Kremlin sees Moldova as a buffer to Russia rather than a part of the Russian Empire. As with Georgia, it's more about putting a stop sign to the West and preventing the country from joining the European Union and NATO in every way possible. End quote. In economic news, the ruble slid, falling to an exchange rate of 77 for one U.S. dollar. West Texas Intermediate crude plunged, dropping to $67 a barrel, and Brent hit $74. Russian Ural's crude collapsed, crashing to an official price of $48 a barrel. That's a 14% one-day decline. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline traded at $2.44 a gallon, or $0.66 a liter, on the spot market. Dutch TTF natural gas futures also contracted, with April contracts at €42 per megawatt hour and May at €43, reaching the lowest price since December 2021. Chicago SRW wheat futures were stable, trading at $6.99 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.